Hey everybody and welcome back to I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. If this is your first time joining us today, then welcome. I'm glad that you're here. My name is Christian Keeter and I live in the southeast of the United States of America with my amazing, beautiful, godly wife Lacey and our two wonderful daughters, Felicity and Serenity. So today is going to be a pretty much a direct continuation of the previous episode, episode number 55. And I want to say that right at the outset, um, just to say that if you have not yet listened to episode 55, that I would encourage you to pause this episode, go back and listen to that one, and then return with this one, because we're building on what we said last time. And this is only just going to be part of a conversation. It's not going to make as much sense uh, as it would be in conjunction with that one. So go listen to that one if you haven't already. But for those of us who have already heard that, let's, let's carry on with this conversation and talk about just a couple more nuances of... Um, having a victim mentality and uh, the peril and danger of that. So like I said, I don't plan on reteaching um, any of the, the previous episode because it's already, it's already out there. You can just go and listen to it again. But I, uh, we talk about what a victim mentality looks like. Um, we talked about how, uh, how pervasive and common it is and easy it is to pick up. Um, we talked about the distinction between being an actual victim and then having a victim mentality just because someone has been, you know, truly a victim in a circumstance doesn't mean that they're carrying around a victim mentality. They could actually be walking in quite a bit of freedom from whatever happened. And conversely, um, someone can be walking around with a victim mentality when they're not actually in that moment a victim of something and they're just kind of reading things into their circumstances or they just have a specific lens through which they see things. And so we get into all that in the previous episode. And so what I want to talk about today is something very, well, I want to talk about two things, really a, something hopefully very practical and helpful and, and challenging. And two, um, a warning, a caution when it comes to this whole topic of having a victim mentality. So jumping right into it without further ado, what is the practical thing? And it can be summed up in the, the biblical principle of, Well, that's said in Galatians 6, 7. So I'll just read Galatians 6, 7 really quickly. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that will he also reap. And so what we're talking about just, you know, with this is the, the, the principle of sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. I mean, that's agricultural terminology. So, I mean, I don't know how many gardeners and farmers we have out there, but this is pretty intuitive. You plant, uh, corn, and what grows? Well, corn. Big big surprise there. You plant corn and then corn grows. If you plant spinach, what grows? Well, spinach grows. If for some reason you plant Swiss chard, and I'm not sure why you would, what grows? Well, Swiss chard grows. I mean, this is, this is obviously straightforward. When was the last time you were talking to somebody... And they were, they were frustrated and, you know, they said something like, you know what, I went on back and I planted some, some carrots and you know what happened? Carrots grew. I wanted strawberries. And so I, I just don't get it. Every time I plant these seeds, carrots keep coming. I just keep wanting strawberries. I don't get it. It's like, if somebody actually like said that to you, first off, you'd be like, this is just a lame joke. But, but then if like somebody actually was like genuinely confused and like, I I've been planting these carrot seeds and I've been wanting strawberries and I just can't understand why strawberries won't grow. It's kind of like, well, you're getting exactly what you planted. This is, I mean, if you want strawberries then why are you, then why are you, then why are you planting carrots? If, if you're, if you want to reap strawberries, why are you sowing carrots? 
we would be genuinely confused as to why that person is confused. Because it's so obvious and intuitive that if you plant a certain seed, that's the kind of plant you're going to get. We would we would think that such a person had like a disconnect from reality. However, however, we can easily do the exact same thing that that person that we just kind of described uh, was doing. The difference is instead of using seeds and plants, we use decisions and choices and the ensuing results from those things. And so we're talking about the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that will he also reap. And so sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. So it's, it's, again, it's an agricultural metaphor. And so we can, it, that make, it makes sense to us um, from that angle. And this is very important in the conversation about not having a victim mentality. Because sometimes what can happen is we can uh, ad- adopt a victim mentality, see ourselves as victims, but we're victims of the results of the choices and decisions that we made. So, you know, we, we feel victimized by the things that are happening around us, but the things that are happening around us are directly connected to the decisions that we made. And we'll get into a few examples in just a minute, just to kind of make this a little bit more concrete. However, before we do that, I do just want to say very quickly something I hope is obvious, and that is that I'm not suggesting that every adverse or unpleasant circumstance uh, is the result of something that we did. I'm not saying that. I, I'm, I'm like, as I've said, people are genuinely victimized at times. And likewise, just because something good happens doesn't mean that we, uh, that we, sowed something good, somebody can show us grace. Uh, someone can show us mercy when what we sowed should really, you know, elicit the opposite of that. And so I just want to point out that what we're talking about is a general principle. It's a general pl- principle. That doesn't mean that every single solitary situation is a simple one-to-one black and white sort of uh, correspondence of what you did. And I mean, a simple example would be the book of Job. Now, the book of Job would be a very, very simple way of communicating what I'm talking about right now because it wasn't because um, of his sin uh, that all these things unfolded in his life. And so, but that's a different conversation entirely. But I do just want to say that we're talking about general principles right now. And so this is just a good thing to keep in mind, a good way to think about it, and a good way to shield yourself from adopting a victim mentality. And it actually gives you a sense of um, kind of control and not in a bad way control, but in a good way, um, where it's like, okay, I can make decisions that will have results that I want. And again, this, this might sound a little kind of abstract to the moment, but when I make some of these, you know, give some of these examples, it will, um, it will hopefully, uh, make it a little bit clearer and, and quite intuitive actually. But I did just want to say, that I'm not suggesting that if you're in an adverse circumstance, that it's just because you did something wrong. No, I would not say that. The Bible is has plenty of examples of where it's like people found themselves in adverse, difficult circumstances, and it wasn't because of some fault of theirs or something like that. That's So just, just want to say that. Again, I, I talked about that in the last episode. So let's just get to some examples, some really simple um, examples of you know how we could see this play out. So let's just think... Uh, just here. What about this? Suppose there's someone who's frequently sick. Um, they, you know, they they talk a lot about how they're sick. They really seem to struggle health wise. 
And, you know, however, they eat extremely unhealthy food and they don't exercise at all. And, you know, you look at that person and you think, well, you know, there may be something else going on here that, but why don't we start with the obvious and make some lifestyle changes and see if that helps. That could very well alleviate some of these symptoms. And again, I'm not saying that just because someone is sick, that it's just strictly like lifestyle like that. I understand that there are lots of factors with sickness, That's I'm, but I'm just giving you an example. Another example, suppose there's someone who has great financial struggles and they're always having to borrow money and be bailed out and everything like that, but, but they're reckless in their spending and they don't keep a budget. Suppose they, you know, when they get stressed out, they just go and start buying stuff. It's like, well, I mean, there's a pretty major component of self-inflicted there and there's this disconnect between what they are uh, sowing and what they're reaping. Or suppose that there's someone who... Um, looks at other believers and says, man, they just, they're so close to Jesus. I wish I were that close to Jesus. They're just so close to him. I, I don't know why God won't speak to me the way that he speaks to them and things like that. But this person doesn't spend any time reading their Bible, praying. When they're in church, they're scrolling on their phones. If they attend a Bible study or a small group, they don't really engage on any meaningful level or anything like that. Well, and I mean, James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's, uh, that's, that's James 4, 8. And and so it's just like, well, this person, if they're not, they're, they're not sowing into um, these, the, or these examples, or their people are not sowing into these things to get the results that they claim to want. And then they're feeling like victims of the outcomes of these things. And so, again, with all those examples, these things are multifaceted. There's lots of factors to include or to consider about our circumstances and why things are the way they are. And I'm not trying to reduce them down to something super basic and unrealistic, but I'm just saying this is a real principle that we have to take into consideration. If somebody is always tired and they're always just having trouble focusing and they're exhausted, one question would be, well, what time do you go to bed? You know, and then you find out that they're up till 2 a.m. watching YouTube videos. It's like, well... You know, maybe that's a lifestyle change that needs to happen. Again, though, there are other people who have what seem to be very healthy sleep habits, and yet they're exhausted, and there's other issues and things like that. And so, again, this is complex, but I hope you're beginning to see. Um, this is what I hope you're beginning to do. I hope you're beginning to look at the areas of your life where you have been tempted to feel like a victim, and you're asking this. You're saying, I may not be able to control all aspects of this because we can never control every aspect of a circumstance, and to try to do so is it's a fool's errand. It's a, it's a losing business. But it's, it is to say this. I may not be able to control all aspects of this, but what can I control? What can I influence? What can I do? I may not be able to change this part over here, but what, what can I do? And then to start focusing on that because we spend so much time thinking about the things we can't control instead of focusing on what we can actually do. This is, this is, this is true. And then when you do that, when you fall into that thinking, that's when you're getting really close and you're getting dangerously close to adopting a victim mentality. But then part of the problem is sometimes we actually, we want to be victims. Um, it's, uh, we've just maybe gotten used to it. It's, uh, more comforting to be the recipient of compassion and sympathy instead of actually owning responsibility and accepting that. And, um, and maybe we just don't want to make the lifestyle changes, uh, that would, that would bring the changes that we claim to, to want, but we just have to be honest with wherever we are and then go from there. Um, we don't want to be stuck in a victim cycle. 
you've probably known people like this where there is, um, I don't know. It's just like, there's always a crisis and there's no ownership. And yet you've seen people who are in legitimate crises and yet they have peace and yet they're able to walk through this. And so you just have to start asking the questions of like, well, what's, what's the difference here? And again, we talk about this stuff, um, last time, um, hope in the Lord and trusting God and, and all these things. And so you can review last, last time's episode. So, um, Proverbs here, Proverbs twelve fifteen is a verse we've quoted on this podcast quite a bit, it says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And so if we want to fight against the victim mentality and the subtlety of slipping into that, and if we want to be aware of how what we're reaping can be connected to what we're sowing, we have to bring other people in. We have to bring people in. We have to have other eyes. Um, remember, the Lord has designed the church as the body of Christ. And so imagine that someone's left elbow is itching. Well, what do you do? Well, you tell the right hand, hey, scratch the left elbow. Hopefully that you know conversation takes place in your mind and not vocally. Otherwise, you might be getting some strange looks from anybody who's around you. But you get the point where it's like another part of the body went to help that part of the body and all directed by the head. And so this is the way that the Lord has, um, has, has established things. And, and yes, the Lord will, you know, directly intervene. He'll directly speak to our hearts and things like that. But we see so often that he loves to work through people. That's, that's, he, he, he really chooses to do that. And he certainly does not have to, but he chooses to. And so you have to bring other people into this and just that act of humility, um, is, is a good thing. It's a very good thing, and it positions you well because we know that God opposes the proud because grace to the humble. So they'll be able to see things you can't see. They'll be able to see blind spots. They'll be able to see connections. They'll be able to see X, Y, and Z. Um, and just simply put this way, if you're not liking the results you're getting, then then you need to change what you're doing. Um, we shouldn't expect different results if we are continuing to do the same things over and over again. Um, if we want to see something new happen, then we need to do something new. Um, and I've quoted my pastor as saying this before, but one thing he said was, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And that's about as concise and clear as I, it can be said, really. That's that's really good. And so uh, so that's that's an important component of this as well. And I think also just just thinking about things. Um, you know, one thing the Lord is doing in my life this year is he's, um, one of the things is he's got me focusing on rest and it's almost become like a, a filter through which I see things where I'm asking the question of, okay, is this conducive to rest? Cause I feel like this is, um, something the Lord is teaching me. And again, I'm not talking about sloth. I'm not talking about laziness or anything like that. Cause the Bible condemns, um, laziness. It, it, you know, the scriptures will say, go to the ant, Oh, sluggard, you know? And, but, but we're not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about true good rest. And so it's kind of become a filter. And so, like I said, the phrase, is this conducive for rest? Well, eating a huge meal and a ton of dessert shortly before I'm going to try to go to bed, that's not conducive to rest. That's going to interfere with, interfere with my sleep. Um, that's just a, like a simple example. So we have to be forward thinking in this regard if we want to, um, 
sow things well. So just to give you another example, or not another example, another scripture here, Proverbs 27, 12 says, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. What's the idea? The prudent sees danger. It's like the, the wise on the horizon can see something coming and prepares, makes the necessary arrangements. It says, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Um, an easy example is uh, I live on the coast of North Carolina, the, the East coast, obviously. And there is, uh, you know, we get hurricanes here and hurricanes don't just, they're not like tornadoes. And I don't know what your exposure to hurricanes is, but it's not like, it's not like tornadoes. It's not like earthquakes. You have fair warning. I mean, you, you know, well in advance for hurricane gets there. So you can, um, make all the preparations necessary. Uh, if you choose to evacuate, there's time to do that, you know, all this sort of stuff. And so this is a wonderful example. It's like the prudent says, okay, there's a hurricane coming. I'm going to go do the things necessary, which basically means buying a ton of bread and milk, because that's apparently what you do whenever there's going to be a storm, we buy a ton of bread and milk. And, and maybe somebody can help me understand why are you going to buy milk? If you're going to lose power, like, I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe, uh, maybe if I had bought more bread and milk, I, I would know, but, but a hurricane is a good example of this, but the simple, they go on and suffer for it. They didn't make any preparations. They lost power and all their food spoiled and they ran out of food and, you know, their windows got broken and then their stuff in their yard got blown away. And you could, you know, take the illustration as far as you wanted to. But my point is that this is directly connected to sowing and reaping. Using even just the example of, is this conducive to rest? It's me looking ahead and saying, okay, is what I'm deciding to do right now preparing me well for what's going to come? And what's going to come with the whole rest thing is the following morning. Am I setting myself up well for the next day? And so this is connected to uh, sowing and reaping because we see the connection between the decisions that we make and the results that we get. So I think that I've made the point pretty clearly at this point, as far as that goes, I just want you to look in the mirror and invite other people in to say, okay, here are some areas of my life where I'm not liking the way things are. What can I change and what can't I change? What, you know, what, in which areas of this has the Lord put the ball in my court saying, okay, you know, you do this and you make these changes and which parts of it am I just going to need to trust the Lord with? You know, these are, this is learning to think this way is a matter of, it's a matter of maturity. So, um, before moving on, and I've said this already, uh, a few times, but I, I just want to say it again, that I'm not, that what we're talking about today is a piece of the puzzle. It's not the whole thing. It's a piece of the puzzle, and um, it is uh, it is important to think in this way if we want to shield against a victim mentality. If there's an area of our life where we want to see a change, um, we should pray, ask God for wisdom, invite other people in, and begin asking, what are the changes that I can make to bring about what needs to happen? Um, but this needs to be held in tandem with the stuff we talked about in the previous episode, with the reality that we are... Um, you know, at times there are legitimate challenges that come along that are just, uh, not our fault, but nevertheless, like we talked about last time, the spirit of God lives inside of us and we, we can overcome these things by his power. We can walk in freedom and in victory and not in bondage to the past or what happened. So this next verse is the hinge from what uh, the practical thing I mentioned that I want to talk about, which is what I've been talking about this whole time, and then the caution. So Proverbs 19.3 says, When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. 
when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. And so wh- whose fault is the ruin? Well, it's, it's that man's fault. And why? It's because of his own folly, his own foolishness. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, yet what's the response? His heart rages against the Lord. Instead of humbling himself, um, this individual gets mad at the Lord for the consequences of this guy's own choices. This is somebody who not only has uh, disconnected sowing and reaping and, and refused to acknowledge the connection between their own choices and the results, but this is somebody who's actually blaming God for the consequences that they themselves have brought upon themselves. Because, I mean, and, and surely we've all done this. Surely we have we have all been in a place like this at points you know, in our walks with the Lord, if we're just being honest with ourselves. But I mean, do you see how dangerous this sort of, this sort of thinking is? You see the places where this could lead if somebody lives that way. So using the example of the hurricane from a few minutes ago, suppose a person, you know, knew a hurricane was coming, made zero preparations, didn't buy any more food. And then on day two without power, they're like, God, how could you let me not have food? I'm so hungry. Ugh, and like getting upset with the Lord and everything like that, where it's just like, well, that's that person's own fault. You know, yeah, their heart is raging against the Lord, but it's their own folly. It's their own folly that brought their way to ruin, you know? And so this that's just a you know simple sort of example. And so the um when we have a victim mentality, we can, if we're not careful, get angry with God for not shielding us from the um, effects of the decisions that we ourselves have made or, and this is, uh, and we're straying into the areas right now where it is really some of the most dangerous aspects of, um, of having a victim mentality is, you know, when we start getting mad at God for the decisions we've made or when we start seeing ourselves as victims of the Lord. We start seeing ourselves as victims of him because of what he did or, you know, did not do in our lives. And let me just say before going on that circumstances are complex. Um, Some things happen as a result of some things we do or of the things we do. Some things happen um, as a result of things other people do and decisions they've made. Some things happen as a result of spiritual warfare. Um, and, and none of these things are above the Lord or above his power. And he, and obviously he knows about them all and he's the king over everything and he's sovereign. But, but my point in saying all of this is just to simply communicate that our circumstances are indeed multifaceted. And whenever we start, we have to be very careful about the conclusions we come to about God based on our circumstances, instead of informing our circumstances about the truth of who God is and what he says in his word. And this, that's touching on what we talked about from last week where when we start looking at our circumstances and in informing our understanding of God because of what we are or are not experiencing, we're, di- we're straying into very dangerous territory, very dangerous territory and setting ourselves up for failure because it's completely inverted. We should be informing our circumstances with the truth of who God is and walking in faith. And so let's go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter three, and let's see how what the serpent did here is really relevant to what we're discussing today. Now we've discussed this passage uh, quite a bit previously in the podcast, and so I don't plan on going into too much detail in it, but I'm going to read through part of it here and then just highlight one or two things quickly. So Genesis three, beginning in verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, um, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And so that was Genesis 3, 1 through 7. So what's the point here? What is... The enemy was sowing seeds of doubt. We've talked about this before. Basically, if you boil down what he said, it is basically God does not have your best interests at heart and you need to take matters into your own hands. He, is, he called God's trustworthiness into question here. And he and so how is it relevant to what we're talking about? It's almost like, well, by adopting the mentality that unfortunately Adam and Eve adopted, they could see themselves as victims of the Lord, where it's just like, well, God won't let me have this thing over here, the thing that was, you know, going to kill them and cast them out of his presence. And, but it's, but that was kind of the thinking where it's like, he's holding out on us was kind of the thinking that the, the serpent was trying to get them to embrace. And so we can fall into the exact same trap when we start viewing ourselves as quote victims of God, where it's like, oh, well, God, you know, God uh, is holding out on me and we start thinking that God's will is not best and that we would know how to run our lives better. Um, if only dot, 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 but God dot, dot, dot. It's like, this is, this is kind of like the natural conclusion that this thing will go to. And so I hope you're beginning to see that this mentality of a victim mentality is indeed spiritual warfare. It was very similar to the original lie in the garden from the enemy to our first parents. And so, um, not only will it just, you know, really, really wreck your life in many ways, it'll really get your relationship with the Lord um, off the rails. And so, for example, what is the end result of seeing ourselves as victims of the Lord? Well, we'll, we'll be angry with him, for one thing. Uh, we won't trust him uh, at, at all. Like how, how could someone who feels like they're a victim of the Lord simultaneously trust the Lord? We won't run to him. Um, Proverbs 18.10, let me flip here, says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. It's like someone who feels like they're a victim of the Lord, they're not going to do that. They're not going to feel safe with the Lord because they feel like they're a victim of the Lord. And this is all based on a wrong understanding and a wrong mentality, not the truth of who God is. Remember, what the serpent said in the garden was a lie. Um, let's see here. Uh if this person who views themselves as a victim of the Lord obeys God at all, it will be begrudging. It will be begrudging. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so the motivation for our obedience to God is supposed to be our love for him. And so you take that away, which you're not going to be walking in love towards God. If you um, are feeling like you're a victim of him, you're going to be resenting him. That's what's going to happen. And do you see how subtle this is? The enemy slithers up, whispers a lie, and then just watches you turn against God entirely. And yet the Lord loves you and he knows what's best. Not only that, but he sees you. He sees you. He sees exactly where you are and he cares. And so what I'm going to do now is something um, I've, uh, I've not done before. I just, uh, I'm picking up a children's Bible right now. So 
I'm envisioning all of you sitting in a, in like a little half circle at my feet as I read to you from the Jesus Storybook Bible. So the Jesus Storybook Bible, very quickly, if you're not familiar with it and you have kids, um, buy it. <laughs> I can just, that's about as simple as I can make it. It's the best children's Bible I've ever interacted with. It's not exhaustive. Like other children's Bibles will have a, you know, will include a lot more uh, of the biblical accounts in them than this one. However, this one is excellent because the whole thing, it portrays the entire Bible as unified. It portrays the entire Bible as one super narrative from the, from the, gen, uh, from the garden in Genesis all the way to Revelation and how it all points to Jesus. It, it shows how all through the Old Testament, the, the hope and the expectation of the coming Messiah and what he's going to do, and it just ties it all together around the central focus of it all, the entire Bible, which is Jesus Christ, um, God himself. And so it's, uh, it, it does this in a very good way. And actually, it could be helpful even for adults as, as, as a tool to learn how to read the Bible. So I'm going to read... Um, two parts out of this here uh, very quickly. And so I'm looking at the account of Genesis 3. This chapter is called The Terrible Lie. And while there is one thing in particular that I really want to highlight from it that's relevant to our conversation, I'm actually going to read this this section in its entirety because of just its beautiful portrayal of the Lord and how just even hearing how God is portrayed here um, and, you know, and I believe accurately, uh, just fights against even viewing yourself as a victim of God. So the terrible lie. Adam and Eve lived happily together in their beautiful new home, and everything was perfect for a while. Until the day when everything went wrong. God had a horrible enemy. His name was Satan. Satan had once been the most beautiful angel, but he didn't want to be just an angel. He wanted to be God. He grew proud and evil and full of hate, and God had to send him out of heaven. Satan was seething with anger and looking for a way to hurt God. He wanted to stop God's plan, stop this love story right there. So he disguised himself as a snake and waited in the garden. Now, God had given Adam and Eve only one rule. Don't eat the fruit on that tree, God told them, because if you do, you'll think you know everything. You'll stop trusting me, and then death and sadness and tears will come. You see, God knew if they ate the fruit, they would think they didn't need him. And they would try to make themselves happy without him. But God knew there was no such thing as happiness without him. And life without him wouldn't be life at all. As soon as the snake saw his chance, he slithered silently up to Eve. Does God really love you? The serpent whispered. If he does, why won't he let you eat the nice, juicy, delicious fruit? Poor you. Perhaps God doesn't want you to be happy. The snake's words hissed into her ears and sunk down deep into her heart like poison. Does God love me? Eve wondered. Suddenly, she didn't know anymore. Just trust me, the serpent whispered. You don't need God. One small taste, that's all, and you'll be happier than you could ever dream. Eve picked the fruit and ate some, and Adam ate some too, and a terrible lie came into the world. It would never leave. It would live on in every human heart, whispering to every one of God's children, God doesn't love me. And it wasn't a dream. It was a nightmare. A dove flew from Adam's hand. A deer darted in a thicket. It was as if they were frightened by something. A chill was in the air. Something strange was happening. They had always been naked, but now they felt naked and wrong, and they didn't want anyone to see them, so they hid. Later that evening, as God was taking his walk, he called to them. Children? Children? 
Usually Adam and Eve loved to hear God's voice and would run to him, but this time they ran away from him and hid in the shadows. Where are you? God called. Hiding, Adam said. We're afraid of you. Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? God asked them. Adam said, Eve made me do it. What have you done? God asked. Eve said, The serpent made me do it. And terrible pain came into God's heart. His children hadn't just broken the one rule. They had broken God's heart. They had broken their wonderful relationship with him, and now he knew everything else would break. God's creation would start to unravel and come undone and go wrong. From now on, everything would die, even though it was all supposed to last forever. You see, sin had come into God's perfect world, and it would never leave. God's children would be always running away from him and hiding in the dark. Their hearts would break now and never work properly again. God couldn't let his children live forever, not in such pain, not without him. There was only one way to protect them. You will have to leave the garden now, God told his children, his eyes filling with tears. This is no longer your true home. It's not the place for you anymore. Um, But before they left the garden, God made clothes for his children to cover them. He gently clothed them, and then he sent them away on a long, long journey out of the garden, out of their home. Well, in another story, it it would all be over, and that would have been the end. But not in this story. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day he would get his children back. One day he would make the world their perfect home again. And one day he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. Lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. So that's the account of Genesis. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that wonderful? Like I said... You know, even if you don't have kids, go buy this. It's, 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 uh, it's really, it's great. Um, so what happened here? You know, looking back at that, what did, why, what, how is the serpent's temptation portrayed is in a very clear and helpful way. He says, does God really love you? You know, if he does, then why won't he basically let you eat the fruit? He says, poor you, perhaps God doesn't want you to be happy. He's just like, and again, I know that this is not the actual scriptures, but this is riffing off what we just saw in Genesis 1, I'm sorry, Genesis 3, where the enemy does do this, where the whole idea is getting getting Adam and Eve to doubt God's goodness, his, his trustworthiness, his plan, and all of that. It is getting them to think like, in a manner of speaking, victims of God. Now, really quickly, um, I'm just flipping ahead to the New Testament and the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I, this this one's much shorter, but I do want to... Uh, include this as well. When Jesus was in the wilderness, this is right after his baptism, of course. Um, It says, uh, after Jesus was baptized, he went straight out into the desert. That might seem like an odd place to go because as you know, deserts are very hot and there isn't any food or water or places to stay. But Jesus needed to get away by himself and be somewhere quiet and lonely. He needed to be with his heavenly father to get ready for his new life. In the desert, Jesus thought about the secret rescue plan he had made with God. Before the foundation of the world, they both knew what would have to happen. To rescue God's children, Jesus would have to die. 
There was no other way. It was the reason he had come. Now, that old enemy, the one who had spoken through the snake to Adam and Eve back in the garden, remember him? He didn't want Jesus to rescue God's people, so he lied to Jesus. Are you really God's own son? He whispered. Poor you. God must not love you. You don't need to die. Do it my way. Yes, and no, Jesus said to the liar. I will do what God says. And from that moment on, nothing would ever be the same. Jesus wasn't like Adam. Jesus was a new kind of man. He would not believe the terrible lie that the enemy spoke. Jesus knew God loved him, and he would trust God no matter what. It was just as God had promised to Adam and Eve all those years before. Jesus had come to do battle against the snake's work. He would get rid of the sin and the darkness and the tears, and he would suffer, but he would win. So, um... You see that? You see the parallel there? I mean, it just does it so well. It just paints the picture so beautifully where it's just, uh, you know, you, you go to, you know, the account in, in, in Matthew and in Luke when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness and the enemy comes along, the, the tempter, as he is called, and he, and he starts with, you know, in verse 3, he starts his temptation with, if you are the son of God command these stones to become loaves of bread. And, you know, he, he takes them, you know, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down off the temple is, uh, is where, is where they were. Or he said, um, you know, uh, he said, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. If you would just fall down and worship me. And all these times Jesus resisted him. You know, he, he really, he passed the test that Adam and Eve failed. Uh, he resisted the tempter. He overcame him. And I just want to say that the Bible says that we have the spirit of Christ living in us, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ. Romans chapter eight, it's a verse I've read plenty of times this podcast, but I'm going to do it again. It says, um, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Romans eight, nine. And so I just want to say this, the same one who resisted the tempter in the wilderness lives in you. The same one that resisted the tempter in the wilderness lives in you. You, we will not be tempted beyond our ability. And so whenever we come to this thing of victim mentality, when the enemy is trying to paint God in a false way to us, I mean, just like Jesus resisted in the wilderness by quoting scripture, um, the truth, that's what we need to do too. We need to inform our thinking with the truth. So just a couple of things here, just a couple of verses really quickly that I'm going to go through and then, um, then we'll wrap up basically recalibrating our understanding of the Lord. So Romans five, eight, but God chose his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Shows the depth of his love. And of course, we could talk about, you know, John 3, 16, talk about how, how much God loved the world, right? Ephesians 2, 4 through 9, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. But that, that line, that line, because of the great love with which he loved us. Psalm 103, 13 and 14, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. 
Luke 6.35, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Really quick side note, he says he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That does not in any way obviously undermine the fact that he's righteous and holy. I mean, uh, in that, you know, if, if we die apart from placing our faith and trust in Jesus, then then we'll be separated from him forever in hell. I mean, it's clear if your name is not found written in the book of life, then 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 that that person's destiny is the lake of fire. And you can read about that in um, Revelation chapter 20. But that can change in an instant. You know, um, when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus, I mean, we become children of God. When we respond to him drawing us and speaking to us, him wooing us and drawing us to himself, I mean, we pass from death to life. Um, and that's, you know, something we've talked about plenty of times. And so, um, uh, and, and by the way, you can go listen to the episode entitled The Gospel. Um, I believe that's episode 24 of this podcast, if you want more information about everything we were just talking about. But, I mean, we, we're certainly, you know, God's enemies before salvation, but he loves us so much that he provides a way. But the point is this, you know, the passage says that he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And a parallel passage in Matthew it says, but I, this is Matthew 5, 44 through 45 says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. This is Jesus speaking, of course. Then it says, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Where it's like, okay, you know, um, he said that he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. It's like both the, the just and the unjust are recipients of this kindness in this life. That doesn't have, that doesn't mean or imply where they're going to ultimately be. Um, what decides where you're going to ultimately be is how you respond, what you do with Jesus, really. If you believe in his name and, and bend the knee to King Jesus. And, but anyways, um, so moving on, this is what we talked about last week, Psalm 27, 13 through 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. And so I, um, we're just kind of, you know, we're seeing how, how loving the Lord is to his children and how the Lord does, he does know best. And he, um, and the, and having a right understanding of who he is and how he is will fight against the victim mentality. Now, let me read a quote out of a Bible study that, um, um, we've been doing, Lacey and I have both been doing it. And I'm actually, um, in a, uh, there's a few other guys, um, that I know that I'm going, uh, through it with, it's called experiencing God. It's, um, by Henry Richard and Mike Blackaby and Claude V King. And it's great. Like it's fantastic. If you're looking for a Bible study, I'm not getting, uh, like, any sort of kickbacks from, from Lifeway for suggesting this. And so I can, uh, but it's really good. But let me just read you this quote from it. God's nature is love. He will never function contrary to his nature. God will never express his will toward you except as an expression of his perfect love. He can't, he will never give you second best. And so i again, we're talking to those who are, who are born again, right? Um, which anybody can be born again. If, it all depends on what they do with the person of Jesus, but just that God will not give you second best. God's not going to give you second best. Um, it's like where Jesus said in Matthew seven, basically, and I'm paraphrasing here that if we 
who are sinful, imperfect parents know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does our Father in heaven, is he able to do that? Um, that's Matthew 7, uh, 7 through 11, that area. And so, the uh, but if you believe God's not giving me second best and he sees me, then you will, uh, then that'll fight hard against the victim mentality sort of thing. And so I could continue to go on, but in summary, let me just recap here. The two things we talked about today is one, the principle of sowing and reaping, acknowledging that there is a connection between what we experience and what we're doing and taking some ownership of that and being responsible and saying, I'm going to make the changes, um, to, uh, I'm going to make changes in order to uh, see some changes in these areas, and I'm going to own what is mine to own. And then two, avoiding uh, the danger of viewing ourselves as victims of God, because that is not a good place. That's not the place you want to be. And it's a distortion of God's character. And that's exactly what the enemy would try to get you to believe when you pass through difficulty, that he doesn't love you, that he doesn't care, um, and other things uh, like this. So, but I just hope that this was helpful for you. I hope that you feel empowered. I hope that you could just sit down and make some really practical steps as to say, well, what are some things I can control? And have I been having this mentality towards the Lord? And if so, repent and just inform your thinking with the word of God, as opposed to just um, interpreting things through your circumstances. So I hope this has been helpful. I just want to talk about the Bible is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means that all gifts given are tax deductible. So if you are interested in doing so and feel led to do so, um, instructions on how to give can be found in the footer of every podcast episode. And thanks so much to those of you who have already given. All right, guys. Well, I hope that you are doing well. And uh, until next time, God bless you.